And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent, you come for Tina, and you come for the massive amount of principles we got to talk about. Last week's show, I started off by talking to you about what the most courageous statement is, in my opinion, in history. But a lot of people don't like religion. They get very uncomfortable talking about it. Apparently, it's a divisive subject. You're not supposed to talk about it. So I want to talk to you about American history. I want to quote some numbers to you, and then I'm going to tell you exactly what each of those numbers represents. So bear with me. The numbers, 24,000, 15,000, 620,000. 116,516, 416,800, 58,220, and roughly 15,000. What do those numbers represent, America? If I started with courage, it might be easy to have a guess, right? You see, whether you love the military or hate the military or have no opinion on the military, we are here today and live in the greatest country man has ever known, in a country called America, because people stood up and acted. Let me give you what those numbers represent. The first one was 24,000. 24,000 Americans lost their lives in the Revolutionary War. Now, that might not seem like a lot, but you got to put it in the context of how many people actually lived in what would be called America back then. When America decided to go against the British again, because the British getting beaten once wasn't good enough for them, they kind of felt like, you know what, we can take you a second time. And while America said, "Uh -uh, not a chance, we'll put you back in your place, 15,000 Americans died. For those who love to talk down and look down and scoff at America, you go, oh, America's so evil and vile and racist. The 620,000 number represents the amount of people who died in the Civil War, where it wasn't against an enemy from overseas, it was against brother versus brother, sister versus sister, family member versus family member. By the way, that's the official estimate. There are, because back then they didn't exactly have great records, there are reports that said there was up to 900,000 people who died in the Civil War, but I said I'd use the small figure. 116,516 represents the number of American people who died in World War I. I know today we're fascinated and fixated on Nazi, 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 Nazi in World War II. But let us not forget the brave men and women who fought in World War I, which was equally as vile, equally as sick and twisted and just as evil. 
416,800 represents the number of Americans who died in World War II. 58,220 represents the amount of Americans who died in Vietnam. Yes, on this show, even though it's not popular, we still salute those and who fought in Vietnam. And the last figure, 15,000, is the number who died and paid the price in the most recent Afghanistan and Iraq conflicts. Why did I share those numbers to you? Right now in America, if you're an average guy, or maybe potentially a girl, you might be fixated on baseball. I love baseball. I love sports. Full disclosure, as I'm recording this show right now, I am watching the Yankees play the Astros. So, spoiler alert, if I let out a massive roar, I don't plan to. I'm very controlled. But if on the off chance something massive happens, you might hear a roar. And Tina's in a rush today, so she can't edit the roar out of the show. But you know what annoys me about when I watch baseball? I can't watch it with the, with the commentators on. Because I'll hear about, oh, he was so courageous. He stood up there and he hit that ball out of the park. And, oh, my God, the courage. Or the, you know, the pitcher will get up and strike out someone in a massive moment. And, oh, the courage it took to throw that fastball. Really? Look, I, I know they, they've got a fascinating, they've got a, they've got a you know, a mission to sell, a story to sell. And, you know, look at when we say courageous, it sounds great. Oh, he was so courageous taking that fastball. If we want to be courageous, we're going to have to stand up and act. It's not throwing a fastball. It's not hitting a pitch. It's not throwing a football into in the, in the Super Bowl. Courage requires sacrifice. Today, we live in this world where we have become so comfortable. We are so blessed. What's amazing about America today is we live in this world where we have all these talk about inflation, about gas prices. But yet, look at all the things we have that we didn't have 20 years ago. We have all these different apps. We have all these different phones. We have iPads. We have all this different technology. You know, there's a group I go to speak with in Texas. It's called the True Texas Project. I'm very proud to stand with them as a group, and I do a lot of talking for them. I'll actually be back in Texas next month. Boy, can I not wait, because I'm in Michigan right now, and the degree is 40 degrees. I can't wait to get me some of Texas. But they have a manifesto, and I love their manifesto. And every time I go speak there, I ask them to bring the manifesto on stage, and I read it out for everyone, and I break it down line by line. And there's one line in it that's easy to say, but it's so hard to actually believe in. And I would ask you to ask yourself how many Americans actually believe in it. It's a simple line. I believe in freedom at all costs. Do you? If I said to you, you can have real freedom tomorrow, but you got to give up your iPhone. You got to give up your iPad. You got to give up the comfortable TV, the the 65-inch screen screen TV I'm currently watching the Yankees on. Got to give that up. Do you want real freedom? You can have real freedom, but you might lose your job. You can have real freedom for your kids and your grandkids, but it will require you to die. Do you make that bet? Do you make that sacrifice? You see, one thing that we have right now is we have so many people who want to talk about freedom, but are not willing to make the sacrifice. Look, I don't want anyone to die. I want everyone to have the best life they can. 
But we are fools if you think by reading any amount of history or any amount of American history, if you think you can have freedom and not pay a sacrifice. This country was founded on the idea of all men are created equal. When the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence signed that Declaration of Independence, they didn't think they were signing this historic document that was going to be remembered 240 years later. No, they viewed it as signing their own death warrant. Would you have that courage? I want to share and reshare three quick stories with you about your founders. Three stories that have been totally forgotten in the ash bin of history, but that need to be remembered. Because when we talk about your history, we talk about the winning, but we never focus in on the losing. We never focus in on the sacrifice. We never focus in on the pain that thousands upon thousands of people endured to make our country today a reality. First story is Francis Lewis. Francis Lewis was a businessman and he signed the Declaration of Independence. What did he win? He was arrested and every possession he ever owned was taken by the king. John Hurt. John Hurt was a farmer in New Jersey. He signed your Declaration of Independence and he returned home to New Jersey and he was greeted with an execution order from the king. Because he was so terrified of that execution order, he goes into hiding and because that winter was exceptionally harsh, he eventually dies. Richard Stockton was a lawyer and he served on the New, New Jersey Supreme Court. He signed the Declaration of Independence. What was his prize? He was locked up, he was starved, he was tortured, and his fortune was stolen. And maybe the ultimate prize was his last days of living on God's green earth, was he spent it living off the charity of friends. This is our history, America. We don't have a country without Francis Lewis. We don't have a country without John Hare. We don't have a country without Richard Stockton. Now, I'm not saying we should not talk about the winners. If you've listened to this show for the last eight years, I am sure you have heard the name George Washington bandied about quite a bit. I'm all for talking about winners. But George Washington also made a lot of sacrifices. George Washington didn't want to become president. George Washington did not want to come back to Philadelphia. He did it. The great story of when he's called to Philadelphia Mr. Washington, sir, the Constitutional Convention's in crisis, sir. Please come. He didn't go, oh, of course you need me and let's go, son. His reaction was, my God, what more does my country demand of me? If we want to solve our future and we want to turn this amazing country around, the greatest country that man has ever known around, we need to act. But we also need to have courage and understand that sometimes that means that we all have to act, but some of us are going to have to pay a sacrifice. Some of us are going to have to pay a price. And some of us of the older generation are going to have to pay a higher price. Look, trust me when I say this. I fought 18 years to get here. There is a part of me that weeps for myself. And I'm not saying this to go, oh, boo-hoo, poor John, I'm so sick and tired of you talking about yourself. I don't talk about myself a lot. I try not to. But just so you know, there's a part of me that weeps for myself because I know what's coming. 
And over the coming weeks and months, I'm going to tell you exactly what's coming. I've been talking about the Great Reset. I've been talking about Agenda 2030. I've been talking about authoritarians and government control coming for a very long time. There was a part of me that would love to say, I've got to my American dream. I now live in America, that I get to enjoy it, that I get to sit back every time the Yankees are playing the Astros and just sit out and just watch it and have a few beers and have a few friends over and do that for the next week. It would be awesome. It'd be great to go play golf every so often. It'd be great to do all these things. I don't think I'm ever going to get that opportunity. I'm here to serve. I'm here to share a message, and I'm willing to pay the ultimate price. Yes, including my life, if that's what it means. I'm not saying this to say how great I am. I'm doing this to say, this is what we're going to have to do. And if we're older, it does suck. Look, I'm going to be very honest with you. If you live in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, I hope there's an opportunity where we turn things around quickly enough where you have a great life. But we actually have to get in the mindset of not thinking about ourselves and our happiness, but working and sacrificing for our kids and our grandkids. If you don't have kids and grandkids, it's going to be very hard for you to visualize this. If you had said this to me a year ago or two years ago, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, I can't do that. I don't have any of those. Because I'm now married to Tanya, by default, I have grandkids. I have an 11-year-old. I have a 4-year-old. I have a 7-year-old. And I have two 3-year-old grandkids. I know what America, probably better than most, represents. I know what America can be. I still see America as the shining city on a hill. If I don't act and I don't sacrifice, those kids, especially the two three-year-olds, might never, ever get to see us. And not only because we're rewriting history at such a rapid pace, not only might they never get to see it, but they might never even get to read about us if we don't act. I'm asking you to reflect on your life over the next week or two weeks especially as we head into what I call the greatest season in American year. America, in my opinion, is the only country that got its holidays in the right order. It's hard to believe that in a couple of mere weeks, we're going to have Thanksgiving. Gee, I wonder will Fauci allow us to meet on Thanksgiving this year? Can you imagine that was actually a question at one point in this country's history? Thank God for a lot it wasn't. We're going to enter a period of the American calendar I love. We're going to approach Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks, which is scary. Thanksgiving, where we say thank you for everything we have. My first challenge to you today is to be courageous and look around a part of your life and just say what you're thankful for. It's easy to give out and complain and moan and bitch about things. Oh my God, it costs $70 to fill my car. Yes, trust me, I know, it's painful. Oh my God, I went to Walmart just to get the weekly shop and it was like $300 for me and my two kids. Yes, it was painful. I might lose my job because the economy's starting to slow down. My heart breaks for you. But we need to start being thankful for the small blessings. Even though we're in food scarcity, we still have more food today than a lot of other nations ever had. You know, the food scarcity that we see in Walmart right now, 
Just think about someone being in North Korea. What would they give to have the exact same conditions? Think about somewhere like Iran. Think about some parts of the Middle East. Think about some parts of Africa. They would give their right hand, their left hand, and both their legs to have the food scarcity we have. So as bad as things are, we still have it better than a lot of countries around the world. And then we have Christmas. The sign of a savior. A savior coming, and even if you're not a Christian, the message of Christmas should reach your heart. Because we think about courageous and we think about change. Change for Christians came through a baby. That is real power and that is real courage. It's a part of renewal. It's a part of a reminder that no matter how bad things get, and prior to Jesus, the things were pretty bad. And then you had Jesus come. And then things got worse because we betrayed him and we crucified him and we beat him and we spat on him and we scourged him. And then the final holiday is New Year. That hope springs eternal where we look around and say, look at what can happen. America, we have these three holidays coming up. I challenge you to reflect on your life and ask yourself, where can you have courage? Where can you inspire people? Because we are in the times that try men's souls. I know many of you listening are not sunshine patriots. I know you're winter soldiers. I know you're tired, but we need to keep fighting because if we don't, who will? And if we don't do it now, when will we do it? And with that, we welcome to the show our executive producer and co-host, Tina. Welcome. How are you today? Hello, Jonathan. I am writing ferociously or voraciously, I should say, ferociously and voraciously. I was writing notes on what you were talking about because I thought it was so good. And I hope that you will allow me to do a little bit of input here. I will. But first, I've got to ask you a really important question. Okay. Are you watching the Yankees with me? I am not. And in fact, that was the first item I was going to mention is that, ladies and gentlemen, as I am doing this podcast with Jonathan, you can't see it, but I can. And I have learned that Jonathan is a great multitasker because as he is speaking into the microphone, every few seconds, I keep seeing him do a side glance. That way, I guess he figures he won't miss anything major on the television. He's great because I can't do that. I thought women were known as multitaskers, but you're multitasking very well tonight, Jonathan. I know. I, I, I Listen, I identify as a woman. What can I say? So it's it's my, my mind. This is the this is this. Honestly, seriously, I make a joke out of this. Being bipolar is a superpower because when your brain is functioning at, at its high level, I can do multiple things at once and I can do three or four things that it can brain compute at once. It's amazing. And then when you, when you get down, you can't even compute one thing. So yes. And there's my eyes going. There he goes again. <laughs> yep. He was just looking up ladies and gentlemen, he was looking off to the side and up. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, this show has my full attention. It's just, I was about to say, I won't take any offense. Whenever I see no. you do your sideways glance, I will not no. take any offense. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm not rolling my eyes at you. <laughs> and if you were, I wouldn't care. 
So thoughts on the monologue? Yes, I have a few things I want to mention here, Jonathan. Yes. First of all, I try and listen to our episodes every week. And I was doing some grocery shopping today and listening to our last episode. Jonathan, I don't think that you were aware that you kept saying this, but it warmed my heart. I know you didn't know that you were doing this. At the end of our episode, you were talking about America. And there were several times, Jonathan, that you referred to it as our country. It is our country. But a lot of times, I don't think that you feel as much a part of it because you're not a citizen yet. I, I feel the responsibilities of an American, but I don't, I'm very conscious of not offending anyone because I don't, I'm, just, I'm not an American citizen yet. So but I'm on I the road to become was, a. No, I thought that was great. Okay. And I think that was just your feelings coming out that you feel so strong about this country and it's your adopted country, even though you're not formally a citizen, you feel in your heart that you are a citizen of America. This is my home. I, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this to look heroic or anything like that, but like, this is my home. I'm all in to save this country. You know, this either this country succeeds and I live here or this succeed, this country goes down like the Titanic. I'm still here. Um, I go down with the ship. Um, I, I didn't fight to just be here for the good times. I'm all in. And this is my home. And I, I can say that even though I'm not a legal citizen yet, but I will be a legal citizen one day. But I, this is my home. And I treat it like my home. I treat it with respect. I treat it with love. And I treat it with dignity. And I, America, I think that's what you deserve. The other number two, I should say, and the number two item I wanted to talk about is when you were going through those numbers, I didn't know the exact numbers, but as soon as you started citing those numbers and having known you for only a short time, but knowing how fervent you feel about our veterans, I knew exactly what those numbers were. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what you were talking about before you even brought in the casualty. Yeah, I knew. And having said that, what was your statement about freedom? one if the one from texas oh i believe in freedom at all costs okay i wanted to bring that in because as you were talking about the numbers i of course started thinking about some of the people that i have had on my podcast and i immediately went to matthew bradford matthew bradford is a double amputee and he's blind. He stepped on an IED. I asked him, as I ask many of them, was your sacrifice worth it? And when you're talking about how much are you willing to sacrifice, he told me, yes, it was worth my sacrifice. And this gets me every time. He said, I love this country more than most. It brings tears to my eyes even now as I think about that because I could hear his love for America in his words, in his voice. And is that something that most people would give? Mm -hmm. Do you know what is amazing about the American military? And I'm sure it's of military overseas, but 
I, I haven't had the honor of meeting as many veterans overseas as I have in American military, is any of the American military I know that can't serve anymore because they've had, you know, a situation like that. I remember, I forget, I've got in, I don't know if I ever shared this story on the air, but I met a veteran in, oh God, I'm drawing a blank. It was in one of like the hospitals. And this guy had been in like a massive attack and they've got him from, it was in the Middle East. Um, they couldn't say where it was for security reasons, or I can't remember. But basically, I met this guy and through a friend of mine, and he said, listen, um, there's someone I think you need to meet. You know, you talk about sacrifice, you talk about a love of America and stuff. And I wanted to, I can't remember, he said, but you need to have a bit of hope. Then I met this guy, and he agreed to meet with me, because you just don't sort of go, hey, this is my Irish friend, you know, into these hospitals, you have to get pre-cleared and all this stuff. And anyway, and he was an amazing guy, but he was a... Um, I don't know the term. What's what's the term when you lose both your arms and both your legs? A quadruple amputee. There you go. But anyway, long story short, I got to speak to this guy. And the only reason I'm sharing this story is just for one sentence that he shared. We had a we had a few, amazing conversation. And typical military, though, he was very cold in that he didn't know me. And, and I get it. I've been around military. They don't trust outsiders or they're not very opening and stuff. And I told them who I was and what I did and stuff. And and uh, But the reason I'm telling the story was because after I spoke about it, I actually had to ask. I said, do you mind if I ask you one question? And you just please consider answering it, you know, from your heart. And he went, okay. And he was very skeptical. He was like, what's this crazy Irish guy going to ask me? And I was like, what's your biggest regret? And I was expecting him to, I just wanted to see, because I didn't want to sort of go, hey, you know, you know, do you miss your arms and your legs or something? You know, because that would be a bit of a jerk thing to do, right? And I said, so I just wanted to know, because that was my way of framing a question. Do you regret serving America and stuff? And he thought about it for a while. And he said, do you want the honest answer? And I said, yeah. He said, my regret is that I'll know I'll never be able to serve with my brothers and sisters in the army again, in the military again. And I was just like, that's your biggest regret? You know, like you, you could have said something like, you know, I wish I hadn't been there that day. I wish I'd caught COVID. Or, you know, obviously this is prior to COVID. I'm making a joke. But you think of something. I wish I wasn't feeling good that day. Or I wish I was five minutes later or five minutes earlier. Or I'd stepped to the left or stepped to the right. Or whatever it had been. That And nothing else about the story remember, which has stayed with me. Barred that conversation where he just, when I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? He was kind of skeptical. And he went, sure. And then I said, what's your biggest regret? And then he just kind of, his body kind of went backwards and, you know, protecting himself because he can't self-soothe and just having all this stuff. And he was like, honestly, not been able to serve with my brothers and sisters again. And I just went, that's the only thing that stuck with me. And I feel really bad, but that has left a lasting impression. And you, you talk to me about why I love your military, because also, I've met so many people who are amputees who've lost a leg, who've lost an arm. I've met people because of who, who I am and been very open about depression. I've met people with PTSD. And you can clearly see it in them. And I've never met someone kind of go, my biggest regret or, you know, I wish I never joined the military. I wish I'd chosen a different course. I wish I'd, you know, become a plumber or I wish I'd just got a job and started a business. They all want to serve. And that sacrifice is amazing to me. And it's always been there in your spirit, in your culture. So what's, what's thought number three? My mm-hmm. last thought was when you were talking about Thanksgiving coming and how that first Thanksgiving after COVID, we were urged and admonished not to get together as families 
And Jonathan, can I tell you the weirdest experience that day is that my in-laws are a little bit older. They're in their early 70s at the time, I think they were anyway. And so they were, of course, very frightened about the COVID thing. And can I tell you how weird it was where I had my husband and I and our three kids were sitting at a table and we got on a Zoom call. Mind you that they're about 20 minutes away. They were on the screen. Then I had my husband's brother and his kids on the screen and then another brother on the screen and another brother on the screen. And even today, three years later, my kids will say that was the weirdest Thanksgiving ever. I will never do that again, especially Mm -hmm. when I think how unnecessary it was. I want to take the rest of the show in a different direction. You very kindly on our first show together interviewed me for my health conditions, mental health. Obviously I know people, if you know about mental health or you know someone close to you with it, you have a better relationship or a better understanding of what it is, but we are literally living in an epidemic or a pandemic or whatever words you want to call of mental health. The numbers are out. We need to start having honest conversations with each other. We need to have the courage to say the unpopular thing. One of the reasons I don't like censorship is because when you censor something, you actually might censor the truth. Because if you believe in censorship, it's always great when you're censoring someone you don't like, but then what happens when they come for you? For the last three years during COVID, we have had this BS baloney bullcrap of every time you share something that's not the narrative, that you have these fact checkers under you. Show you how bad it is. There's a guy I watch from England. He's a highly touted professor of infectious disease, and he's very nonpartisan to the point where I've watched this guy speak for hours on COVID. I couldn't tell you his position on vaccines personally. I couldn't tell you his political position. I just know him and watch him and like he's just down the line. But it was so bad. He had the video last week or two weeks ago of the interview between the Pfizer representative getting called before the European Parliament saying on air in front of the European Parliament that we did not test this fact, the first vaccine against saving other people. So the whole saving, saving others and get vaccinated for others was a lie. Now, obviously, they didn't call it a lie. He couldn't express that opinion because if he did, he'd get demonetized by YouTube and a warning and he'd get a message because it would go against their terms of service because it went against the WHO. We need to start having conversations because sometimes if we don't have conversations, our lives will drastically change and it might result in death. I want to talk to you about two health conditions first, mental health. There were people at the time of covid who said, sit down, shut up, and take your kids out of school. It's the patriotic thing to do. And anyone who dared say, "Um, our kids need to be in school. Our kids need to be in school because why? They need interaction. 
They need to be with their friends. They need to be learning stuff that, Hey, taking kids out of school where they're already failing in reading, writing and arithmetic that maybe taking them out and maybe losing a week, a month or a year is not the best idea. Well, you got put in your place if you dared express those opinions. I know because if you look at people like in the public eye, like Rand Paul, when he was calling out Fauci, the amount of hate he got, which was visible, was crazy. Well, here we are. We now have information. And I will use the left's language here. When it comes to mental health, there is a war on women. I'm going to give you some numbers to back this up. In 2004, 5% of kids who are male and teenager between the ages of 12 and 17 had depression. In 2020, it spiked to over 10%. Those numbers seem bad, don't they, America? Yet women, it's a hell of a lot worse. Women in 2004 was about 13.5%. It spiked to over 25% in 2020. How about we get that trending on Twitter? Hashtag war on women. We need to start defending our kids. We need to start defending truth. And we need to start having the courage to stand up and say, never again. Because this is just one aspect. Mental health is huge. Why is mental health such a big thing? Because if you're depressed, it's hard to think. It's hard to focus. If you're depressed, it's very hard to see the future and be like, you know what? When I grow up, I want to be fill in the blank. I want to be a fighter pilot. I want to be a, a businessman. I want to be the next Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. I want to be this best future. If you're depressed, it's very hard to have those feelings. If you're depressed, you're more like, uh, my life's over. I'll never achieve anything. Now, it's one thing for a 38-year-old to say that. It's a whole other thing for a 12-year-old to say that. Because we all know 12-year-olds. 12-year-olds come out with the most audacious, and sometimes, let's be honest, like, you know, I'm not saying this to discourage people, 12-year-olds come out with some crazy radical stuff that they want to do, right? Like, it's not like, you know, what do you want to be at 12? I want to have a little mom-and-pop store. No, it's like crazy stuff. I want to be a Jedi. I want to be Superman. I want to save the world. I want to be a rock star. I want to be a movie star. Am I wrong about this, Tina? I was thinking about that as you were speaking. And it's ironic that you said that last thing, because when my son was 12, he signed on with an agency here in Utah because he wanted to be an actor. Yeah. And then it moved on to something else. Uh-huh. And then it will move on to something else and something else and something else. But they're never small things. And then we have 25% of girls, one out of every four kids who are female, have some type of major depression in America. What's that going to happen? What's going to happen to that in the future? We have this epidemic, and are we dealing with it? No. Why? Because people say, sit down and shut up. Well, are we going to sit down and are we going to be silent on our kids anymore? Because here's the thing. I want to share a story with you before I move on to the second health story. 
there's in somewhere in Michigan this week. I've been all over the state this week. And it's very easy to get caught up in people who we would not have anything in common with. I met this woman and she will remain nameless because she didn't agree with me on very much, but it was a fascinating conversation. But this person was part of the UAW, you know, the, the auto workers, very, very big government person, hates, and I mean hates with a passion, private schools and charter schools, and is very big advocate on public schooling. Now, pretty much, there you go. I, I could have easily went, you know what, me and you are never going to agree. But I just ter- took a layer back. I asked her why she was so big on public schooling. What was her answer? Her answer was not because of all the things that are going on right now. She said, I believe I was brought up in public schooling. I believe it's the best. I just think it sucks right now. And I believe anything in taking, have any privatization or anything else distracts from the issue that we need to get our schooling right. We need to focus on reading, writing, and arithmetic. She then proceeded to tell me a story about how she helps people. She said that she's so well known in this little community that she lives in of like five, 6,000 people. She said, um, because she's, a, she's an older lady and you could tell she was like a sweet old grandma. She's just very politically, we're just very different. But she told the story about how she, that this kid had graduated from the local school and that he knew who she was and she, he trusted her and he needed to send off a check to someone and he had to get a check from the bank and his first check he had no idea what to write and he went up to her and she said it took me all day to basically tell him how to write his name how to spell out the you know whatever a hundred dollars it was and then write out the full name and the layout of a check and she's like this is a guy who just left school this should not be a thing that needs to be done teaching people how to write cursive. Now, I could have easily just dismissed her at the start. Oh, there you are. She's, a, she's an auto worker union person. She hates charter schools. She's a massive advocate for public schools. Me and her are going to have nothing in common. Yet when I spoke to you about reading, writing, and arithmetic, can we not find common ground? Our kids need help. Do you know the other reason she was a big advocate of public schooling? Because she wasn't white. And she saw what was happening in her racist community and saw the scourge of drugs and said, you know what? We need to give them activities. We need to give them a better future. And I believe the best way is public school. Now I'm not saying I agree with her, but we can find a lot of things we can agree on and just the things we disagree on, we have to leave. Or we can continue letting our kids in public schools and private schools get depressed. She's someone who I won't particularly agree with on politics, but do you think I could work with her on mental health on getting kids better in school? Do you think we could find some common ground there, Tina? Absolutely, yes. And that's the thing we need to get back to. We need to start putting our priorities in place. This is not about a political party. This is about our country. And on this issue, it's about our kids' future and their mental health future. But now I want to take it from kids to older people. This month is Breast Cancer Month. I don't know anyone who doesn't know anyone who's affected by breast cancer. I don't know whether I've ever shared this publicly or not. My mother had breast cancer. I still remember the day she, uh, she came home and told me she found a lump. And by the way, I'm, and the reason I remember this so much is because we can laugh about it now, but 
that is the most uncomfortable conversation I've probably ever had with my mother. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm very reserved. I am a very conservative kind of guy. I do have a dark and dirty sense of humor at times, but you know, when you when your mother comes and says, we need to have a conversation and I'm like, uh-huh. And she's like, so I was in the shower and I felt my breast and I felt a lump and I went to the doctor and he felt my breast and he felt a lump and he wants me to send over stuff. That's a conversation me and my mother should never, ever have. <laughs> oh, Jonathan, I'm so proud of you. You were a grown up. <laughs> yes, but that's why I remember the conversation. But then you go through all the biopsies and then you got told you've got cancer. You know what's amazing? 20 years ago, that probably would have been a death sentence for my mother. The reason I'm bringing up breast cancer is because Tina wants to talk to you about it for a few minutes and share a few stories. But I think the reason I wanted us just to start before I hand it over to Tina is it's so easy to hear the word cancer today and forget what it used to mean and how much progress we've made in society. Breast cancer is probably, in my opinion, the worst cancer. Without getting too graphic or visual, but that part of a woman's anatomy means so much to women and also into the family. You know, you talk about the intimacy of, you know, a mother holding her baby. Where does she hold it? If she potentially breastfeeds that bonding that takes place, you know, you don't, this is not me getting all dirty and graphic and pornographic. This is me talking about medical science here. You know, you, you, there's plenty of data to back all of that up. And then to have a situation where you, you know, you having to go through that feeling. Cause I, I, I think of it like myself, you know, in my private parts, like if I had to, you know, feel myself there and I found a lump and then having to go down to the doctor and I find that that's just like the horrible to me that like the pri invasion of privacy is just wrong on so many levels, but women, these are things women have to deal with. And thank God I'm not a woman. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> we all thank God, Jonathan. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Cause as my wife says, you'll be an ugly, ugly woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Me and my bald head. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to share is people have courage and this is real courage getting a diagnosis of it. Cause I, I walked the path with my mother. It was incredibly hard. And there's always that part of the back of your mind where like, this might get bad and it might, she might die. And now it's always there in the back of the background where it might come back or it might spread somewhere else, but you get past it. But here's the biggest thing I want to share with this before I hand it over to Tina. How you get through this is your friends and your family and your support system. Any doctor who's worth his salt says it depends on how much fight you have in a person will depend on how well you fight cancer. If you have a good support system and people who love you and people who are around you and who support you and serve you, imagine what you can do. We need to get back to a point where we break down the barriers of politics and we start loving people because we face major obstacles, both as a country, but also as individuals. People are getting sick. People are having mental health. This is breast cancer month. We can deal with all these issues so much better if we just love each other. It's almost like there was someone famous like Jesus said, what are the best, most important commandments? Love God and love one another. Can you imagine if our world actually 
follow those two commandments a lot better than they currently do. Tina, I know you wanted to share some because this is a very, very uh, close and personal subject to you. So I hand it over to you. It is. And let me clarify that I don't say the following to scare anyone. I say it because I hope that it gives someone the power to do what she needs to do. You talk about age, Jonathan. And I apologize if I'm getting them, if I get emotional, because I might. My older sister was 36 years old when she found out she had breast cancer. She was pregnant at the time. She had an older son, a teenager, and waited a long time to have a baby. She was so excited. Because she was pregnant, the cancer just spread like wildfire because of her hormones with the pregnancy. Her husband traveled a lot. I did not work at the time. And I was the person who I say was cursed and blessed to spend a lot of time with her. I spent nights over at her house. I went to chemo appointments with her. And I seemed to be there on the days when she received bad news. It spread to your bones. It's spread to your brain. I can remember walking in the bathroom. She was on the floor and she was rocking back and forth, back and forth. And she said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. She gave birth to a miracle baby, Jordan. She came 32 weeks. They had to do it because of the cancer. She had a mastectomy. She passed away not when Jordan was nine months old. Jordan does not remember her mom. And I can remember the day that she could not give Jordan baths anymore because she was in so much pain and I had to do it for her. And it crushed her. If we fast forward probably, geez, 10 years, my little sister was 39 years old when she found hers. And I was angry at her. I was so angry with Rebecca because she had skipped a mammogram. And I remember going to the doctor with her and she was certain it was just some type of breast infection. And when I saw her chest, I think I immediately started screaming at her because she was in denial. She had two small children. She passed away about a year later. My sisters and I were able to take her on a trip of a lifetime, we called it. We took her on a cruise to Hawaii. But she passed away about two months after we came back from that. And her two small children are without a mom now. I lived in constant fear of cancer. And because of the history, I would go every six months to get a mammogram. And then six months later, I would get an MRI. And every time I went, I was sure they were going to tell me, you have three months to live. I was sure of it, but I went. I finally saw a cancer specialist and was told, 
you have a 60% chance of getting cancer, breast cancer in your lifetime. This is a myth that if you have the BRCA gene, it's the only thing you have to worry about. I don't have the BRCA gene. In fact, they can't find a gene. Am I sure there is a gene? I'm pretty sure there is a gene, but they could discover it in 100 years. I didn't want to take that chance. I had a double mastectomy, an elective double mastectomy four years ago. And the relief I feel is immense. But I tell you this story not to put fear in you, but to give you power. Because as a side note, Jonathan, I'm going to get a little honest here, okay? But I know you're grown up and you can handle it. <laughs> you have a lot more confidence in me than I do. <laughs> you, I know you can. I have very dense breasts, Jonathan. And they will tell you that when you go get a breast MRI, okay, and you have dense breasts, it is like looking for a snowball in a blizzard. How does that give you any feeling of peace when that's what you're told? My advice here is, number one, women, if you know you have dense breast, make sure you get the right exams, whether that's an MRI or an ultrasound. There are other ways to do that. Okay, know your family history. I didn't have a family history before. And that's the other thing is that I think it's a very high percentage. The amount of women that get breast cancer don't have a history of breast cancer, which is scary. But make sure you're getting your mammograms. Make sure you are getting the right test, whether that be an ultrasound or an MRI, if that's what you need. Advocate for yourself. And even though you are afraid, if you are afraid, and again, I will tell you, I was deathly afraid as I had every right to be. Every time I went to get a mammogram or an MRI, I did it. Do not let fear stop you from taking care of yourself. Do not be selfish because your family needs you. Fight like a girl takes on a whole other meaning for me because my sisters were as courageous as any soldier on a battlefront. They fought as hard as they could. And unfortunately, the outcome was not what we wanted. But please take care of yourselves and get those tests. I agree. You got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of yourself because... Whatever you're going through, you got to look after it. Breast cancer is obviously very close to, to Tina and it's also very close to me because, but, you know, I, we had a different outcome. Yes. I but wish it's we the same. had yours. <laughs> yeah, so do I. And uh, anytime you hear a story like your story, your sister's story, like the idea of, there's four kids in your family without a mom right now. It should serve as a wake-up call. We can disagree about all the things in the world, 
on all the policies. But this is what we're facing. I would encourage anyone, no matter what you're getting through with, because it does take, I can't say on the breast cancer side, but to, to face your medical demons, to does take courage. I, I can speak to that firsthand, you know, not changing the subject, but my battle. Oh, man, it could have been so easy just to not go get diagnosed. I was terrified that day. That day was, I was terrified of telling my mom when I got the results and stuff. But we have to deal with things. Because the thing about it is, is that the times we live in, if we catch things early enough, especially cancer, there's treatments out there. So I encourage you to reach out to someone that you know. Reach out to someone that you can support. Even if it's someone who, you know, is on the opposite side of the political aisle and is so dumb when it comes to politics, reach out to them and just say, you know, you got their back. Tell them you love them. Reach out to someone who you know in your family who's got some medical health and just say, hey, how you doing? You know, so family and life is too important and life is too precious. But also for everything that we're going to face, America, you need to be in the best health that you can possibly be. So if you ever need extra motivation to have that courage, know that what we're about to enter is going to be really hard and really horrible, and you need to be 100%. We're going to finish up today's show. Who have you got on your show this week, young lady? This week on the We the People, Our American Story podcast, my guest is J.P. Lane and his wife, Crystal. J.P. is an Army vet on his first deployment He was blown up. He immediately lost one leg. The other leg was amputated later because it was too mangled. He suffered significant TBI injuries, has a lot of issues with short-term memory, tried to take his own life 12 times. But then he found his faith in God. There is a happy story, and I hope you will listen to this because it is a great story. JP found his faith in God to get him through these rough times. He loves his life now. He is a prolific music writer, sings. In fact, he sang a little bit for me on the podcast. He is a great example of resiliency. You can find this episode by going to www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com. And Where can finally, people find- Where can people find you on social media as well? On social media, I'm all over the place, Jonathan. I'm on Facebook at We the People, Our American Story. I'm on um, Instagram at We the People, Our American Story. I'm on TikTok at Tina American Patriot. Awesome. And how do we finish up the show, young lady? Before you interrupted me, Jonathan. (laughs) And finally, we salute the U.S. military, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I salute you, the great American people, in the sentiments of Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. No matter whether you're dealing with mental health, whether you're dealing with breast cancer, whether you're dealing with anything else, get strong, have the courage to face what you need to face, but also, most importantly, be an American patriot that I know you can be. It's times are bad, times are tough, but we are the secret sauce that will turn this around if we have the courage to stand up and say, not in our name. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week.
subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.